Welcome to Brand Growth Heroes, the podcast that explores how insurgent brands in consumer goods categories are driving transformational growth. Here our guests talk not only about their brand purpose or why, but also how where they play, who they employ, and how they work has driven their incredible success. Here at Brand Growth Heroes, we zoom in on insurgent brands that are creating transformational growth. So how do we define transformational growth? Well, I like to say that it's growth that not only step changes the fortunes of the founder and the company itself, but that also transforms the category, not only in terms of size, but in terms of how we shop it and what we expect from it. The incredibly impressive Natasha Bowes and her team at Biotiful Dairy are doing just that with their ranges of authentic kefir, which was an everyday staple for Natasha growing up in Russia. The brand has injected completely new energy into the dairy chiller by creating what's now known as the gut health category. Natasha's story is spellbinding, one of dedication, hard work and obsessional focus on product quality. With a portfolio of seven ranges and market sales value of £30 million, this is a brand that we are going to hear a lot more about in the future. Natasha Bowes, welcome to Brand Growth Heroes. Thank you so much for agreeing to come on the show. It is just an absolute pleasure to have you here today. Thank you so much for having me. So where you're back in the office, it looks like. Yes, it is. It's very exciting. It's wonderful to be seen physically, physically existing people as opposed to the screenshots. And are many people in? How do you manage that at the moment? Very carefully, very safely. And it's elective return to office at this stage as it should be. So yes, it's uh, not all of us are in at the same time, far from it, but it is fantastic to uh, be back circulating, socializing, collaborating in person. I heard a podcast recording this week with James McMaster, the CEO of Huel, who I used to work with in Goo. And he made a really interesting point. He said, you know, our business is a very creative business and we actually get an awful lot more out of being together. And I thought it was almost like a really brave thing to say because so many businesses are saying, oh, you know, everyone can work from home all the time. It'll never go back to the way it was. But this idea of actually getting the creative juices flowing by being in the same rooms and bouncing off each other is quite true for lots of FMCG businesses, I think. I cannot possibly imagine that not being true for any SME business. Yeah. It's certainly not in food and beverage. It's all about collaboration. It's all about working together. I mean, the reason we're speedboats as opposed to big oil tankers and we get things done quickly and we get things done smarter when we put our mind to it is because we work so closely together. Well, that is, I love that analogy, speedboat and oil tanker. I'm going to steal that from you. So for all of our listeners around the world who may not have come across Biotiful Dairy yet, can you paint us a picture, set the scene? What do you guys do? What do you make? What does the range look like? And where can it be bought? And who buys it? And then we can get into the nitty gritty of how you got to where you are today, which is a business, I think, turning over market sales of around 30 million, right? Indeed, yes, that's the mark that we got to, but it took us nine years to get there. Still very impressive. (laughs) We operate within the industry that certainly has brilliant opportunities and has natural constraints in it. We chill products and we work, uh, therefore, with customers, with the retailers, as opposed to predominantly direct to consumers. And that has big upsides and has its challenges as well. So tell us what the range actually is. What does it look like? We essentially have created the uh, kefir or the gut health category in the UK and rolling it out beyond the UK now into Western Europe. We have a range portfolio of seven ranges of kefir 
focus products from the core range of the liquid kefir through a kefir protein, the first in the world combination of the uh, kefir and core cultures based product, kefir pouches for kids, yogurt kefir shots for every day, every morning consumption. We have kefir ice cream, which I'm particularly in love with. <laughs> and, okay, I can't wait to try that one. And we have uh, kefir plus coffee, ready to drink coffee based on kefir, the uh, groundbreaking very healthy innovation in that space launching next month. Fabulous. So I've noticed that recently your main product line, the 500 mils bottle of the green bottle of kefir drink. Yeah, have you got it there? Or slightly bigger version Yay, of that, that the whole litre. <laughs> I think the slightly smaller one is available in my local co-op, the Cherry Yummy. I live in the Isle of Man. I also live in a rural village on the Isle of Man. So when you see something appear in my local co-op, it means it really has gone mainstream. And it's been in the local co-op for, I would say, four months now. Sometimes they get stuff in and the managers, they're going, it's never going to work. It lasts two weeks and then it's gone. But yours is still there and it's in all of my kind of wider family and friends' fridge. Fantastic. That means kefir is now in the mainstream in the UK, right? That was the idea. Bringing in naturally healthy dairy products that add maximum value to the consumer through the combination of superior taste and health benefits Okay, was the whole idea behind starting this business. And the mission of the business is to make as much positive contribution as possible to our diets through natural diets, through high quality, natural, healthy products. We are not advocates necessarily for people who do not want to consume dairy to turn around and to change their minds. We are completely non-patronizingly offering the choice to those consumers who do want to consume dairy, offering the choice of the products that we strongly believe represent the best that dairy has to offer naturally. And it's essentially fermented or cultured dairy, 2,000-year-old recipe, liquid kefir, our core products is just a combination of uh, milk and authentic cultures. In our case, the best of British milk with the champion 2,000-year-old probiotic cultures that combine more than uh, 40 different uh, strains of uh, beneficial bacteria compared to yogurt, for example, that has one or two different types of bacteria typically. So it's much higher in its potency as far as the probiotic qualities are concerned, even though we have to be very careful using that word in uh, in the UK, EU. But also it's just a very light, very nutritious and very well-balanced base food, authentic food for every day, for any age and for any time of the day. Talk to us about how you grew up with this. I mean, you know, back home for you in Russia, you told me on our pre-call a couple of little analogies which were amazing, really brought it alive for me, just how much part of the culture this is over there. Absolutely. So for starters, the uh, glass of kefir a day is a must at every nursery in Russia. And this is what I grew up on. And uh, I grew up in central Moscow. And <laughs> in those days, before the proper globalization, yeah. We didn't even have a concept of stomach bug. I learned 
what stomach bug is <laughs> only when I moved to Western Europe. That's unbelievable. Which is remarkable if you think about it. And it took me a little while to realize. <laughs> no, but it really brings it alive, doesn't it, for our listeners, just how much this is a part of your culture. And at what point did people in Russia make the link when stomach bugs did arrive into Russia that maybe the kefir had been protecting you all this time? Well, it's been something that your mom, your grandma, your dad, your granddad would tell you as you're growing up. Okay. This is what you should be having on a regular basis in order to keep healthy. Because it's so light and nutritious and because it's fermented, it breaks down the lactose and the milk proteins for us. Because as humans beyond the age of three, we cannot actually digest milk properly. Yeah. Whereas the fermentation process, this very authentic, very natural process, whereby the lovely beneficial bacteria eat up the lactose and break down the dairy proteins for us, they essentially make it much easier for us to digest and to absorb the goodness of the minerals from the milk and also all of the vitamins, essential vitamins, which are created in the process of fermentation, B-complex, AKD, the very simple way of looking at kefir and a very fair way of looking at kefir is that it's a very natural way of supporting your gut health effortlessly and in a very versatile manner in whatever format you prefer to take it, which is why we strategically build out the portfolio of seven ranges, basically offering every key occasion and format of consuming healthier dairy that one may choose. Two questions. The first one is, what are you allowed to say about kefir in terms of gut health? Simply based on what's in the product and laboratory tested results of that is what we put a tip of the iceberg of that. At least we put on our label. It's actually a consistent challenge with explaining or educating the consumer on kefir has been about saying rather less than more because you can actually say a lot of amazing things about uh, um, these products. And uh, at the beginning of the 20th century, a Russian scientist got a Nobel Prize for exploring the health benefits of kefir and kefir type products. It is all about the product being gut friendly. We cannot say probiotic or at least as it stands at the moment, we cannot say probiotic, what we can say based on the nutrients which are objectively in the products, that it is gut-friendly, that it is high in protein or source of protein, depending on whether you're looking at the original or the fruited version. Mm-hmm. We obviously do not add any sugar to any of our products. That's the whole point. There's less natural sugar in kefir than there is in milk Mm -hmm. because it's been fermented. Exactly. And the lactose, the milk sugars have been predominantly eaten up. So it's very low in lactose, naturally all of the products that we make. Mm -hmm. And uh, of course, gut health is the uh, basis of our immune system. And that's extremely important and only has become more important over the last year or so for obvious reasons. And uh, 70 to 80% of our immunity is based on gut health and the microbiome, which is the amazing, Mm -hmm. almost separate organ that is living and thriving within us, within our digestive system. And that is extremely important to look after, not just through fermented dairy, the probiotics or natural probiotics, as opposed to supplements is the uh, proven best way of looking 
after it by reinstating the good flora in your system. Sure. But also healthy lifestyle, active lifestyle, as difficult as that has been <laughs> over the last year or so, sufficient sleep, you know, healthy diets that are full of prebiotics as well, i.e. the fiber, the fruit and veg that we must consume, <laughs> must do our best to consume in our balanced diets. And uh, all these wonderful things that we need to take into account in order to overall look after our well-being because you've got to look after yourself and look at yourself holistically and comprehensively as opposed to trying to fix the results rather than deal with the root causes. Okay. And that's very much the way everybody in Russia is brought up as part of the culture that you are looking out after yourself from the inside out. Can you imagine, this was going to be my second question then, has there been coverage in Russia of the success of Biotiful Dairy in the UK? And could you imagine actually being a major player in the market over there? That just struck me as you were speaking. I don't know. Are other massive household brands in Kefir over there already? It's a lovely question and I really appreciate it. But I'd say as much as we would like to see ourselves as the uh, little movers and shakers here, yeah. innovators and the thought leaders, it is probably... Uh, fair to say that it's the size of that and the novelty of that is not quite the same okay. back in Russia. And of course, people live in, in rather different ways with the businesses running with very different cost structures and the wage levels are quite different. So therefore, the industry structure is very different and the players not dissimilar to here in the dairy industry are other large players. You also would see if you go to the markets of Russia and Eastern Europe, as far as the dairy offering on the supermarket shelves is concerned, you would certainly see that there's a much wider offering as far as the naturally functional dairy is concerned. But also you'll see significantly less branding because it's such part and parcel of the everyday. Almost like a commodity. Exactly, much more so. Yeah, I just was imagining you are so innovative and one of the reasons I reached out to you, yeah, well, we were on one of the Bread and Jam panels together, but I also keep seeing all this fabulous innovation that your team is putting out and you are putting out on LinkedIn. And, you know, you seem to be on this amazing trajectory at the moment, really like owning all of these new categories that you're creating. And when you mentioned a few minutes ago that you are, um, I think, the first in the world to meld the cork and the kefir. Kefir. Yeah, to make a high protein kefir. I thought, well, you know, what better market to sell that in than the most developed kefir market in the world, <laughs> even if it's just the very top layer of people who can afford it. Anyway, it's just a, a wishful dream on my behalf. It's all about the fundamentals. We are looking to create the highest quality products, mm -hmm. but accessible. We pride ourselves on making our products accessible quality. Yeah. Maximum value add, as I was saying, by combining the brilliant taste and the gut health and wider naturally healthy benefits. It is specifically kefir protein, for example, is a rather expensive product to make. Okay takes four and a half measures of milk or so to make one measure of the products. Right. And this is before the cultures and the, all of the uh, you know equipment that's required in it. Okay. So therefore, it is a remarkable and it is dairy industry at its best is most certainly unsung 
heroes of this society and the contribution that they make mm-hmm. <laughs> as far as the manufacturing. I'm certainly not talking about us. We are communicators with the inventors and the communicators. We know how to bring out the best in what is being produced. Yeah. And we base all of our innovation on consumer insight and fundamentally drive with what makes the biggest positive difference to the consumer and therefore to the retailer and as a side effect to us as the brand. Benefits, so which is why you're bringing out a kefir coffee, right? Precisely. Because that's going to be my product. I'm going to drink that every morning. I'm so pleased to hear. So let's go back in time. So you grew up with this and you left Russia and you moved to Dublin, I think, first, didn't you? That is right. That was a long time ago. (laughs) I know. And at what point then in your life did you decide that you needed to bring kefir to the UK market? Aha, uh-huh. that was quite an important moment in my life, actually. After quite a significant financial career, before which I was indulging in a competitive athletic career, <laughs> indulging in inverted commas, whereby kefir and the natural day became such an important part of the uh, everyday diet even more so than for everybody else around me who grew up on kefir and kefir products. You were on a national team, weren't you? A national figure skating team? Well, I was training for it and I stopped before going into the internationals because I was top 10 in the country for my age group, but I wasn't top one or two. And you really, really need to believe you're going to be the Olympics champion, etc., in order to dedicate in your teenage years, early teenage years, to set aside everything else, including academics, and to focus solely on sports. That was thankfully not the decision I wanted to make or my family wanted to make. I grew up in a family of scientists and I actually, cheekily enough, I have to say that I always found studying at school extremely easy and training for figure skating six hours a day, seven days a week. That wasn't the easiest thing on the planet. Uh, I didn't know any different. So therefore, It was part and parcel for me. Studying was an easier life. Not only that, it also just felt completely wrong to be setting that aside at the age of 13, 14. Mm -hmm. Let's be honest about it. It's not something that I would ever allow my child to do, for example. (laughs) But you can imagine a very different situation if you weren't growing up in a family of academics and if you hadn't been blessed with the brain that you've most obviously been blessed with. (laughs) Very funny. No, I'm I'm serious, but the figure skating might have been a lovely route for somebody else. But for you, you had a choice. So you decided to continue with the academic side, right? Well, indeed. And I loved my uh, education. I was always extremely hungry for knowledge in so many different ways, academic in particular. And uh, I went to Moscow State. I did my bachelor's, my master's there. I finished first in my year, actually. My bachelor's was very proud of that. What did you study? Um, So I uh, did economics for bachelor's and corporate finance speciality for master's. And uh, I actually left the country straight after I finished my master's degree. And uh, after a relatively extensive and deep and meaningful financial career, it's only after my daughter was born 11 years ago, I realized that actually, I really, really am ready to make a difference. And I really would like to make my life matter for me more by adding as much value as possible to the people around me and people at large. I believe it's extremely important to 
make the uh, biggest positive difference you can make to your nearest and dearest, but it's only when you make a difference to the wider population, then I certainly felt that that was the right thing to do because I could and because I had some thoughts that I believed I could develop. However, I also realized that dairy business, no matter how passionate I am about healthy dairy and healthy eating and nutrition was such a far cry from everything that I have had done previously that it was always going to be a big challenge. But it's between the personality traits which were innate for me, but also probably uh, to some extent due to my figure skating past, the determination and the single-mindedness and the focus on the objective, on the goal, has <laughs> been probably a strength. Give us a timeline here, you know, outline the timeline. Did you one day decide, right, it's going to be kefir, that's the way I'm going to make a difference. And then what did you do next? I mean, how did you make that decision? And then what happened? What are all the dots on that timeline? Very good question. So February, March 2012, I have decided that this is out of the a few business ideas that I was working through in my head. This is what I wanted to do. And I set my heart on it. I was very lucky in that my family supported my desire to step out of what I was doing and focus on something that I really wanted to do. Mm -hmm. I did my research in Russia, here in the UK, did the courses that I needed to do in order to set up a food business. Research, obviously, uh, that led me to finding my first production base. I started by making it myself. The very important point was end of November 2012, I was running my first trial production with the help and under the supervision of brilliant consultant, Cornish dairy specialist with 25 years of experience who taught me lots of practical things about this. And I've always had this rather practical approach to life. So I always enjoyed doing things with my hands, even though I hadn't been putting this <laughs> to practice or to use all that much. And uh, it took me the whole of that winter, 2012, 2013, to perfect the product, to really get on top of the finessing of the best technology in kefir making that I brought across from Russia. And this was with actual machinery, wasn't it? It wasn't just in a kitchen. Oh, yes. I leased the little equipment set and it was placed in the corner of a lovely organic dairy, which was my first production base. That was taking me three hours to get to from four o'clock in the morning from leaving the Victoria train station and getting to West Sussex and making it all day. And then returning with the last train back by one o'clock in the morning the following day. Oh, my God. 23-hour shifts were a delight. Three hours sleep. <laughs> well, I was sleeping a little bit more both ends because I wasn't doing it every day, obviously. I had access to this dairy to run my trial production once to twice a week. And I'm so grateful for the opportunity I was given to do so, which took a little bit of persistence. But it's always lovely people, I have to say, that's um, it comes down to, particularly in the food industry. And that was interestingly my biggest learning stepping from the financial industry into food industry is the difference in the motivation of people. People come to the food industry because they want to be in food industry. People go to financial industry, maybe driven by a mixture of different <laughs> motivators. <laughs> yeah, so you, so you get a different type of person, maybe. 
You do. Okay. You absolutely do. And it has pluses and minuses. It does. If you've enjoyed this podcast so far, then please do share it on social media and take a minute or two to write a review on iTunes. It would make a big difference in allowing us to interview even more super guests with great advice that can transform how you do business. So what's the next point? So you have this perfect product. Where were your first sales? From February 2013, I have been sharing the samples of my products with the, and I had three first SKUs. Okay, what were the SKUs? Three different fermented drinks. So it was the natural kefir, it was the baked milk kefir. I wasn't doing fruited at the time, that came later, a couple of years later. And I was making a third version of a natural fermented drink, which uses a slightly different culture, a gentler tasting culture than kefir. However, because I chose a very balanced deliberately for purposes of my taste and given that I anticipated that that was going to be most palatable to the British consumer, I chose quite a mild, i.e. very balanced tasting version of the kefir culture. The a milder version of that again ultimately didn't survive with the skew because it was little differentiation. But at the time I had the three skews, I felt that, you know, a range of three would be the right. And did you have the brand at that point? Yes, indeed. So the name was born probably before the business was born mm-hmm. and uh, in my head. <laughs> Great. <laughs> and uh, initially I had mixed feedback on that. And because I actually, unfortunately, never had access to serious mentoring and wasn't at all connected in the industry, I was given valuable but very limited advice as to what I should be focusing on. So therefore, instead of that, once I placed the uh, bottles on the first shelves, and to answer your questions, my first stockists were Natural Kitchen, Fortnum Masons, Selfridges, Harrods, Planet Organic. I think I had those stockists in the first, maybe from the first, maybe four to five months of uh, trading. During that time, the first nine months of sales from April to December 2013, I was actually a one-man band producing the uh, drinks, selling, marketing, running the operations, funding it. So it was uh, literally a little bit comical as to how many things. Sampling? Were you doing any sampling? I was doing that more than I was doing anything else. Okay. Uh, I'd say on par only with the production because in absence of deep and meaningful advice and mentoring, I uh, wanted to make sure that I collated as much feedback from the consumers as possible on the product and on the packaging, on the messaging, but the consumers understand what it is because I appreciate it. It's a challenge to bring in new <laughs> products to the markets, even though I'm an entrepreneur. And of course, the beauty of uh, being in this position is that you can afford not to, and you almost need to not put too much emphasis on the challenges that you have <laughs> and and focus on the upside. Otherwise, you just don't get through all the crazy hurdles you have to get through. And it was a very enjoyable journey. Was there a point when you knew this was going to work? What was that moment when you felt started to feel more comfortable that this was going to work? That's a great question. If I felt confident in the future developments and the speed of the future development, 
I wouldn't have made what I believe is the biggest mistake I've made, and that is delaying taking the risk of bringing people into the business. I'm big on responsibility, and I felt for a long time that given that this is my first foray into this industry, for as long as I can, I should continue doing it all myself, funding it all myself, because if it's my risk, then it needs to be, it should be my cost and my burden kind of thing. Sure. And it took me a good couple of years before I started hiring people slowly, but surely. Feeling that it was going to work. In my heart of hearts, I absolutely believed it was going to work, but it depends on what you do about it. And me going a little bit slow to start with, reflective of that sense of responsibility, meant that I probably could have grown, most likely could have grown faster in the early days. I mean, you look at the plant-based new brands popping up now and they go. I know. They go so fast. And I admire that. It is brilliant that they're so brave. And I sincerely hope that this is based on the research and the advice and the mentorship they get. Strong business plan. And I probably didn't necessarily go about it in the right or conventional way, uh, but I did it my way. Yeah. (laughs) I think you did go about it in the way that we all went about it back then. You know, whether it was Goo or Innocent or whoever it was, it was bootstrapped and it was growth as you took on people when you had the growth or when you could see that the growth was coming. Precisely. When you got the listings in Fortnum and Mason and Selfridges and you were doing the sampling, what was the reaction like from those very early consumers, tasters? That was the question. I'm so proud to say I never actually had to change the products. Clearly, I'm such a perfectionist as far as the product quality is concerned that I was getting big compliments on the product itself. But what I had to change, and in fact, I've been evolving that throughout my journey, is the packaging Mm -hmm. and the messaging on the packaging. That is probably the area where you can never please everybody and you do not want to please everybody, but you do want to be effective. You want to stand out on the shelf and you want the consumer to understand what your product is. That's what it boils down to. So, well, I have to say your brand for me is one of the best examples of a kind of a brand that's taken a leadership position on a platform and then gone cross category and looks totally coherent and consistent in terms of its messaging and its brand identity, its standout on shelf. I think it's, you've done an amazing job. And I said to you on our pre-call, I said, you know, who's behind it? And you said, well, there's been many people who've helped you along the way, many agencies. I couldn't believe that it wasn't just one agency, like say, you know, Jim, James Averdick had Big Fish, who was right there from the very beginning all the way through Goo. So obviously the person who's been consistent throughout the brand evolution has been you. Yet you didn't necessarily know anything about branding as a profession. You just used your common sense and your feel for what you were trying to achieve, right? Passion. Passion. First and foremost, the passion, the belief and the passion and that that positive drive, the drive to make that positive change. Difference. Hmm. So, okay. So on our timeline then, so you've got these sales. When did things shift up a gear in terms of sales, let's say, in terms of growth? A couple of times, I would point out a couple of things. The stepping up into selling through Ocado was a big step change. Okay. When was that? And that was just over a year into the sales process. So amazing! as a result, and as a result of that growth and probably being 
cautious and relatively skillful in terms of the cost management. Mm -hmm. Within less than 18 months, the business broke even operationally. So that gave it a stronger footing. And I think it's after that that I started hiring people. And then, of course, the next big step was going into the multiples. And and that was always the prize on which I've had my uh, eyes firmly. It took a while. It took rather years than months. However, once we made that step into the mainstream, it absolutely took off. So within, I believe, eight weeks, less than, less than eight weeks of getting that first trial listing at Sainsbury's, the strongest performing NPD within the healthy, new healthy drinks fixture that they introduced in 100 stores at the time. And I understand the fact that data was showing that we were instrumental to driving new consumers into the store, that fact partially informed the thinking behind uh, creating future brands concept. Oh, really? Oh, that's interesting. So we predated that. (laughs) Oh, that's really interesting. So that was one of the commercial insights that they might have based the concept of future brands. That's really interesting. So at this point, we are which year and what kind of turnover, what kind of market sales value are you at at this point? So we're talking about end of 2016 and then going into the, uh, by middle of 2016, we were in national distribution in uh, Sainsbury's and different listings uh, followed and it's been a remarkably exciting journey. And of course, you hear different feedback, different experiences of working with large retailers. I have to say it's been a remarkably positive experience for us. It is impossible to overstate how effective and efficient it is once you get your triangle right. So the value add to the consumer, to the retailer, your customer, and to the brand through the right relevant products that makes difference, maximum difference to the consumer and lands well as far as the uh, category, yeah, yeah, price points versus the taste, quality, and the benefits is concerned. It's remarkable how effective and how much of a pleasure it is to work with the big players, big retailers in this market who can make so much difference and who listen and who can roll out a concept very quickly, yeah. nationally, overnight, yeah. but would do that only if they believe that that is the right decision. Because fundamentally, even though they're private businesses, they carry such significant social responsibility and that permeates their system, obviously, and their decision-making. Mm-hmm. They would be held accountable <laughs> at the highest levels for their buying decisions Our uh, responsibility as the suppliers, as the brands, is to ensure that we communicate coherently to them as to why we together would make the biggest positive difference. And I know that this is collapsing a big story into a few sentences, but nevertheless, impossible to underestimate how important it is to nurture the right relationships and the right the right level of relationships and the communication always works better if it starts at a strategic level. 
And that is a big part of the reason why, for me, it was so important to build out that strategic product portfolio and therefore, as a result, talk to the retailers from the category perspective as opposed to the tactical skew here, skew there perspective. Amazing. Wow. So you've got to then at this point now, you know, in today's world, you're at 30 million run rate across, did you say seven categories? Seven, seven ranges. Seven ranges. Indeed, yeah. And you're going international as well. You've just launched in France, I see, in Monoprix. That is right. Which, as I said on LinkedIn at the time, I mean, they are just going to love that name, the Parisian women. Anything to do with the idea of beauty and health and health from the inside out, it's just going to fly. What really excites me about your story is, even though you're at 30 million in market sales, you've only got 7% household penetration, which means there's huge headroom for growth as you get into other households who haven't necessarily bought you in the past year or at all. That's the beauty of creating a new space, a new category. You create your opportunities and you expand them as is appropriate. And the biggest challenge, especially in the leadership position here, is to ensure that we are pointed in the right direction and we are striking the right balance by being strategically opportunistic in that we are immersed in consumer insight, Mm -hmm. but we anticipate through being clear on what matters most and running ahead of the curve where it is possible. And of course, it's a combination of the insight and the passion and luck, of course. Luck always plays a big part in it as well. How do you reconcile then in terms of, you know, your dairy business, you've got a strong footing and root in dairy. The growth in plant-based milk and the evidence-based backlash about the dairy industry and the effect of that on the environment. How do you weave that into the future of your business? How do you futurify what you're doing and what you're offering in terms of the environment and sustainability? Have you been attending our internal meetings, Fiona? I was just... No, I haven't, <laughs> but I'd love to. <laughs> <laughs> that is a big part of the thinking and the development for the future. There's no doubt about it. And it's about that flexibility and the choices that we help offer to the consumer. It is so important not to be patronizing. It is so important to be clear in your value add. And yet the consumer is very smart and they will make the choices that are appropriate for them specifically and for the environment that is developing. And we know that we all have lived through a very interesting change recently. And Mm -hmm. yes, that change brought that biggest trend that I strongly believed in at the outset and that's the natural health and the with the emphasis on natural that only got stronger the relevance of that only got higher with the consumer and uh, as a result you know it's a pleasure to be building these strategic relationships that we're building and to be communicating to the consumer through all of the channels which are now relevant to the consumer because the marketing landscape has changed dramatically as well. But you're also having to think then about, I suppose, sourcing dairy or how the dairy that you use is affects the environment in the future, I imagine, if it's about positive. It would have been a little bit too late for me to be focusing on it now. It's all about making sure we think about it at the outset. Brilliant answer. Formed our, 
formed our production partnerships. And I've been so careful in selecting the right partners who are entirely, production partners who are entirely on the same page as far as the animal welfare product quality and sustainability is concerned. So our largest production base that makes over 80% of our products is just about hitting the carbon neutral position. It's so important for us. And we, we probably do not shout enough about it. The reason being, again, I just feel because we are not the manufacturers, I don't want to steal other people's thunder. And it is so important that they talk about it. And of course, it's down to them to do that. But we are the face of the brand to the consumer. And therefore, yes, we do share that responsibility to ensure that the consumer Mm -hmm. is very clear on that. And the future is all in information transparency and personalization. So therefore, informing those consumer choices is the number one priority for us. Mm as the technology is gearing up for that. If the consumer looks, the information is there. And that's just a fabulous piece of information to know that 80% of your supply comes from almost carbon neutral facility. It's just really inspiring and that you've been thinking about this for so long. Natasha, you're so, I mean, what you've built is just incredible. We didn't yet talk about your team, but I know how important your team is to you. And how many people do you have working in the business now? There are almost 30 of us now. And uh, to say that I'm proud of uh, our team is to say nothing I have to say. No, I know you are. I know you are because you talked about them a lot on our previous call. And I feel bad that I haven't given you the opportunity to talk about them today. But you do have a wonderful team, don't you? The business is the team. Yeah. Yeah, There's nothing in the business without the team. There's absolutely no doubt about it. And we have such an amazing collection of brilliant individuals who all have been handpicked and are a delight to work with, intelligent and driven and positive. We always strive for cross-functional excellence and the excellence in our communication and collaboration. Do we get everything right? We absolutely don't. We, <laughs> we learn as we go. Yeah. And yet I know that people's hearts are in the right places and their intentions in the right places. So that makes my heart sing for sure. And yes, extremely proud of the team. Where to next is the big question. Great question. I have to say that everything that we've done today, it has been all about the platform building. Mm-hmm. And the platform that we've created with this ownership of the gut health space in chilled predominantly as it stands at the moment. And obviously, as you know, we've made the foray into frozen and this is a big next frontier as far as the product range is concerned and far beyond dairy for that matter. The ambition is very significant and who's there to stop us? I am very proud to say that we, whilst we're having to run fast in order to deliver day to day, because we have a short, relatively short shelf life chilled product, we are all turned into the future and we relentlessly discuss, plan, consider, reconsider our strategy and it's very important that we're agile 
because that's the DNA of an SME. And that's what we'll continue doing. Well, I'm looking forward to seeing where this goes. I know it's going to be absolutely huge. I can't wait to try your kefir and coffee. And when the kefir ice cream gets to the co-op in Port St. Mary, I'll be over the moon as well. Natasha, thank you so much. I know you don't do this often, so I really do appreciate that you decided to do it with us. It's been really great to get to know you and we'll stay in touch and maybe have you on when you hit the 100 million turnover. The pleasure is absolutely mine. Uh, Fiona, thank you. Thank you very much for the opportunity. I really appreciate it. That's been super. Super.